Hi, it's Bob from Royal Spa. Soaking in a hot tub full of Epsom salts is the absolute best way to minimize everyday aches and pains. And we know all about Epsom salts at Royal Spa. Royal Spa hot tubs are the only hot tubs on the market that can safely and effectively use Epsom salts. Made right here in Indiana, Royal Spa hot tubs are the highest quality hot tubs on the market. Visit any one of our three Indianapolis locations or visit royalspa.com. Ah, Royal Spa. Tony East joins us now, and I'm sure thrilled to be doing so based on that transition. Uh, You, of course, read his work a number of different places, including Forbes talking about the Pacers. Uh, Tony, we'll begin with this. Um, Ben Shepard looks like, and I I know that you probably didn't have that on your bingo card to begin, but it does look like Ben Shepard is a guy that we might start seeing a little bit more of in the rotation for Rick Carlisle. You agree with that assessment? I think it's possible, certainly. Um, And the biggest reason to me is their best defensive five, he might be in it right now, right? We we saw this on Tuesday night. They turned him to open the fourth quarter. Buddy Gill didn't have it that night. Ben Matherin wasn't making shots, so turned to a defensive guy, and that lineup with Nemhard, Shepard, Neesmith as the backcourt was everywhere. They, the Nuggets didn't reach 30 points in the quarter. They only could score late in the frame, and you know, his energy on that end of the floor is really impressive. He talked about that improvement last night, and the shot hasn't been awesome yet for him, but if he can be one of their – they're key five defenders in a lineup. I mean, you got to think about playing him. And every time he's, you know, played, it, it's gone at least pretty well on the road trip. His energy was infectious. And I think it was noteworthy that last night was the first time that they assigned Jairus Walker to the Mad Ants without also assigning Ben Shepard. So it sure seems like they're considering playing him in many games going forward. And he earned it. He was pretty good on Tuesday. Tony, Pascal Siakam starts that game against the Nuggets red hot. Looks like, okay, this is the the player they traded for, and this is going to be a game without Tyrese Halliburton to rely on him. And then he kind of struggles the rest of the way. From your vantage point, how much of that was? It's a new player within a new offense, within a new system, trying to feel his way around what this team is and what he needs to be for them versus what Denver was able to make things difficult for him after the hot start. Yeah, I'm not even like – Seven for 16 isn't good, but he just in the fourth, right? Like in the second quarter, I don't, you know, he, it's not even necessarily that he was way less effective. They just like went away from him for some reason. That was really strange to me, especially in that third quarter, because that's when the Nuggets had their best quarter of the game by a mile. And I get that it's all new and interesting and they're trying to figure it out. And Carlisle got ejected. They weren't calling stuff. And, and that was all what it was, but it was, he should be, their lead shot guy, especially with Halliburton now, like every game for sure. And they went back to him in the fourth. He took six shots in that quarter and hit some great passes. Like they missed four wide open threes in the last two minutes that he set up. But I think in terms of, yeah, he missed shots. Like that's obviously a problem. You know, he's seven for 16 to seven for 16. But the real part of, of them learning him and him learning the Pacers is a stretch like that where he plays eight minutes of a quarter and even late in the second quarter. I didn't think he got it that much where – they, they just kind of are doing their thing and don't get it to him enough. You know, he is that level of talent where, like, a lot of switches are a lot of mismatches. He's got to be the guy you go to. I get that he had Aaron Gordon on him, but I still think he's their best option a lot of the time and, and should be favored more often in a lot of matchups, and they just didn't do that enough. Tony, last time we talked to you, you uh, broke the news to us, which was, I thought, exciting, actually, that you have a 21-year-old cat who made a cameo <laughs> on the program, Pepper, and then you posted a video, Pepper, who was delightful. Uh, Pepper doing okay? Yes, I'm going to shut my door, though, now that you reminded me that she could come in here and play the <laughs> No, we spoiler. like Pepper. Is... We're all about Pepper. Pepper's cool, right? <laughs> Pepper's Pepper's not allowed on the sidelines of, of baseball diamonds, but always welcome on this program, right? She 
everything in her life is the biggest emergency ever. Like you, you can't wait two seconds if uh, if Pepper needs something. So. Yeah, well, that's good. Boo, <laughs> Boo would be in the Boo is the spirit animal of Pepper. I know that's my cat. Uh, okay. <laughs> With the Pacers tonight, Joel Embiid, 76ers. That's a 7 o'clock tip at the Fieldhouse. Then 24 hours later, turn around, Phoenix is in town. So based on that, with the back-to-backs and then Memphis on Sunday, so kind of a weird stretch here of three in a row, uh, does that in any way, shape, or form affect kind of rotations and just minute logs for guys? Yeah, maybe so, especially with Tyrese Halbert not playing in those first two games against the better opponents and – you know, Dustin Dopierka, the Indy Star, was asking Rick Carlisle about this yesterday. Like, not only are they facing this schedule at this time of the season with the minutes being what they are, but, like, Rick Carlisle's got to – you know, he doesn't have Bruce Brown anymore. He doesn't have – I mean, Jordan Ward didn't play much, but he got time on the road trip, right? Like, they're tinkering a little bit of, like, what works, what doesn't. You saw that with Ben Shepard in the fourth quarter. On Tuesday, for example, you know, the, their rotation was different in the first two games with Siakam, and some of that's all been injuries, but – they're still dealing with those, right? So I think it's going to be really interesting to see how he kind of figures out what works, what doesn't, who should play with who, who shouldn't, what lineups make sense. And some of that's how do they maximize Pascal Siakam, who's a wonderful player. But some of that is how do they make their team as consistently talented as possible for 48 minutes. And so that's the kind of stuff that will be interesting in these games is they don't have Tyrese Halliburton. What do they do? Who plays a lot? Who doesn't? And how do they try to steal a win? Because, look, if they lose these five in a row – Four of them, I think everybody will understand. They just made a big trade. They haven't had Tyrese Albert, and they're playing contenders. But they lost to Portland. And I think if you lose all these games in a row, everyone's going to start to go, huh, this is uh, maybe not a very good team right now. So they, they need to figure something out in these games. Tony East is our guest. Find all things Pacers with his coverage on Locked On, Pacers, Forbes, and others. Tony, Ben Matherin's 21 years old. He's in his second season in the NBA. Still has plenty of time in regards to the team control and all that good stuff. When you look at players throughout the league, when you look at his profile, how much more growth is there still to be had in his game and in his career as a player in the association? Yeah, really interesting timing for this question because he is certainly right now in the worst stretch of his season. It's not even close, right? Like they win that Portland game last last Friday. If he if he makes any shots, he was over eight. It was the only game all season he did not make a single shot, and then he followed it up in Phoenix in a game that the Pacers were ahead in the last three minutes, but lost going one for eight. And then they were ahead against Denver on Tuesday late in that game, and they couldn't get it done, and he was three for eight, right? Like, he has had a really down stretch playing, and at least Tuesday he had three assists, and he showed some of the stuff that he's been getting better at this season. But currently at this moment, he's in his downstretch scoring. But I think in general the thing about him that still is the most important thing to me, and you can see this – like game to game, how effective it is, is how quickly he does what he wants to do when he catches the ball, right? And this seems so so simple almost, but like his strength almost is that he can he can isolate and size up anybody and, and do something productive. But a lot of times that stop and catch and turn and assess what's going on, slows stuff down for the Pacers or just doesn't necessarily lead to the right pace of play for the team. And I think that is what he's been working on at his best. He just really quick, he makes a decision, puts it on the floor, or really quick gets the shot up or whatever he does. But that doesn't happen all the time. And you really saw it Tuesday to me where yeah, he had an okay stat line, but he was catching and thinking for a second. And that's maybe that's part of the team reshaping a new identity right now, but that's not what they need him to do. They need him to continue to make those quick decisions and play within the flow of the team. And I, I think he is still probably their highest potential young guy on the team. 
You've seen some games where the passing looks way better. You've seen 13 rebound games, right? Like, he, he clearly is getting a little bit better at the little stuff. You know, even you know, five, he had an eight-assist game this season. Like, I never would have thought that was even possible for him last year. So, like, the growth is coming, but it's really been – and this people talk about this all the time, that growth isn't linear for young players. It's really been a roller coaster where, for like, there'll be a week where he looks awesome and everything's clicking for him. He's, he he – like, he crushed the Bucks earlier this month over and over again and can just get to his spots. And then there's a week like this week where he's kind of, you know, falling back a little bit and not playing exactly how they want. So I think he's certainly been better, especially because they need him to be good at on a team with Tyrese Halberton over the course of the season. But recently, certainly, uh, probably his worst week of the year, and he's got to get a little bit better. Tony, the jerseys have been released and by that I mean the, the look of the jerseys for the All-Star game that's going to be taking place at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. Uh, some of the auxiliary shirts or the, the side shirts, if you will, have pinstripes as kind of a, a tip of the cap to the Pacers uniforms. Ooh. But the, the jerseys do not – they are color-coded. So the East All-Stars wear one color, the West wear the other color, and they simply say All-Star on them. They do not say East and West. How big a buzzkill is that for you? Because how much were you excited and anticipating buying a jersey that said East and having it framed in the house next to your pictures of Pepper? Um, I actually really I I did not realize these got put out until you just said this, so I just looked them up. I like the jerseys. I am bummed now though. You ruined them for me very quickly. <laughs> this was an exciting moment for about three seconds. Uh, yeah, I would have I would have done that. I don't have. Do they ever have put East and West on them since like 2010? It's been forever, right? Well, 2010 to me was like two weeks ago, but yeah, I mean it's probably been a while, right? <laughs> I mean the whole thing has gone away. You know, then it turned into like the. Because you have the two players picking the teams, and you know it, it changes, right? Obviously, so yeah. actually now I guess it's not even East and West, right? It's team that they still do it that way, right? They they divvy the teams up regardless this, this of year, I should say. This year it's still it's back to East West. Okay, captain drawings or anything, but I mean I think even before they went to the captain drawings, they were just putting up blue and red All Star jerseys, and just you you guys figure it out. You know it. You know who's on the Lakers. That's the West team figured out from there, right? That's kind of, I feel like, been their strategy. I like these, though. These are nice. Tony, have you ever, uh, just out of curiosity, Tony East, our guest, and I'm assuming the answer to this is no, because oftentimes when we are on, it's when you would be at Pacers practices, shoot-arounds, et cetera. But are you familiar with this radio program? Have you ever heard this program aside from the occasional um, cameo that you make on it? Uh, Occasionally. Okay. I'm not an often uh, consumer, but occasionally. Okay, well, we appreciate that. Uh, okay, so we have a, a guy that every once in a while stops by the studio. Um, I actually rescued him a few years ago from a, a rusty can of PBR. His name's Robin the Genie. He has a question for you. Are you willing to uh, take a question from Robin the Genie here on the program? I am. I okay, absolutely here we am. go. Here we go. Uh, thank you, Tony. It is my pleasure. We wish you'd listen more often to the program, but... Here is my question for you, Tony East. As a genie, I have the capability of giving you millions of dollars, but you must write down for me the names of any players that you feel will not be Indiana Pacers after oh. the trade deadline. Oh. For each player you have correct, I will give you $1 million, but for any that are incorrect, you will be penalized. Do you have any submission for me? Well, I, I would like to opine on the answer, but given that I will lose a million dollars if I'm wrong, I would like to just submit a blank piece of paper so I do not have any financial burden from this question. He's not going to pay you either way, so it's really, it's really a, a, a risk-free game <laughs> for all I involved. Ap- while I appreciate the sentiment and thought, it is my program and my rules. 
All right, so for Robin, who is a stickler for this, Tony, you're, if you had to get, if you had to write down some names, what would be your best opportunity or odds here? Or do would you simply say, "Look, man, it's not going to happen, no matter how much you you challenge me." Yeah, I think. Well, the names to start with are anybody on an expiring contract, right? And that's just NBA reality, right? And the Pacers may say that, "Hey, we've been good enough that we don't have to think that way." But you know, they're seventh in the East right now. They've lost three in a row. Like. If you're a team that isn't a lock to win around or whatever, reach whatever playoff goal, like you have to think about the future of your players on expiring contracts. And the for sure expiring guys are Buddy Heald and Obi Toppin. Uh, Toppin's restricted, so they could keep him, but they at least they have to think about the future of those two guys because you know maybe they don't, maybe they won't be back, or maybe something will happen with them in the summer that's you know just different, and it's. It's just not the same, and and if you can get value for them now, that helps your team long term. Maybe that makes sense for the Pacers. That said, though, you know if they're if they think they are postseason good, like Buddy Hield is valuable to them. Obi Toppin's been a good player for them. Perhaps they just say, you know what, let's let's ride it out for the experience. Let's make the postseason. Figure it out from there. Uh, so those are the two guys that I'll at least keep an eye on. Buddy Hield's salary slot is now really important for them since they're an over the cap team going forward. Um, so if they do decide to move him, getting someone back who makes you know similar money is important. Toppin is restricted free agent, so they can keep him in the summer either way. Um, he's in an interesting spot too because the addition of Siakam with Jalen Smith playing so well this season, like the the reserve front court in general, is really going to be really interesting once they're finally fully healthy. They haven't had everybody for a game yet since the trade. So uh, those are the two names I'd keep an eye on. But in general, you know, Isaiah Jackson, Toppin, Jalen Smith, like at least you have to think about your long-term reserve front court because you have Siakam on the team now. And it sure seems like uh, Jairus Walker is going to be someone they would eventually like to give some of those minutes to. They kept him for a reason. He's been playing well of late. So uh, Buddy Heald, because of his contract situation, the reserve front court, I think that's the guys that I would, if I had to slide a piece of paper to you, Mr. Genie, uh, be the names that are on it. So, Tony, my question about Buddy Heald would be the following. And you tell me, Tony East, if you agree with this. I, I, you know, if you put – if Robin the Genie – ran into Kevin Pritchard and had the ability, as genies probably do, to put truth serum in him, I thought I think what we would find out is that the Pacers, while conventional wisdom says that Buddy Heald is the guy that would be on the trade block, that deep down at their core and in their heart, they don't want to trade him. Oh yeah, I a hundred percent they said I mean they said that, obviously, they're going to say that in a press conference setting, right? But I think that if you just, like me, are an actions or louder than words kind of guy, like, they wanted to extend his contract, right? Like, that at the, at the core of what this discussion is, the reason that he was talked about as a trade guy last summer is because they had extension discussions that fell apart. That they were willing to have extension discussions at all suggests they, they wanted Buddy Hill's contract to be longer on their team, right? And so not only did they say – no, we, we want Buddy Heald on our team. We want to bring him into camp. We want him to play for us this year. But they, they tried to make that a longer-term situation. And now they're out of cap space, so their, their extension offers can't look – you know, they can't do the renegotiation stuff like they did with Miles Turner's last year. But they still can extend him up until free agency if they agree to something that makes sense. And I, I don't know what, they, what they're thinking there, what Buddy Heald's thinking there, what his goals are. But, you know, it's, I agree with you that – all the signs point to that they would like to keep him on their team and have him be a part of what they're doing. 
But again, after February 8th, they lose control over the situation. Now Buddy Heald has all the power to sign whatever with them or elsewhere. They, they have to think of that if, if there is value that makes sense, even though I agree with you that in their dream world, they would have him on the roster. Okay, Jalen Smith this year made just over $5 million. Okay? Yes. He has a player option. For those that are unfamiliar, and maybe we should give a quick tutorial unrestricted free agent means you're free to go wherever you want restricted free agent means that if you are given an offer by another team your team has the right to try to match that player option means the player himself can choose whether or not to stay with his team or exercise free agency he has a player option for next year if he says you know what i'm good then he's going to make 5.4 million dollars the question tony east is this has jalen smith played his way into a market that another team would pay him more than that next year, thus necessitating for him to exercise that option? I would say probably more than $5.4 million. You know, last summer we saw, like, I mean, this was a ridiculous. This was, like, just to trade this contract for the Rockets, right? But, like, Josh Landale got $8 million a year. And as Reed, who is better than Jalen Smith, to be clear, got a little under thirteen in his first year of his deal. Uh, so... I would say that he's more than a $5.4 million player, but backup center is just a funky market, right? Like it's hard to figure out where the investment would come from. Maybe a young team that has some space or has some exceptions, but it's just not a spot that any team goes into free agency prioritizing, even if he is good and only 24 and, you know, if he can shoot like this and defend and rebound, like maybe the Pacers would want him back and they'll have his bird rights so they could keep him too. But I think he probably merits at least a small raise, certainly. The interesting thing about this is the the new CBA rules are you can negotiate with your own players in free agency one day after the finals. You don't have to wait till June 30th, uh, like with external players. Well, Jalen Smith's player option date is the 29th, which is going to be after the draft and several days after the finals are over. So in theory, if he's considering opting out, the Pacers could – could figure out what that looks like or figure out what the deal needs to be ahead of time. And you'll get a pretty good sense of what Smith thinks he can get, either from the Pacers or another team, you know, in, in maybe before free agency even happens. But I think he probably has earned uh, a little bit of a raise. I mean, the, he's lock, he only is locked into his current salary figures because the Suns declined his option years ago. So I think having the chance to finally get a little bump may be something he's interested in, even though backup center is just so finicky that you never really know. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Tony East is our guest, covers the Pacers, Locked On Pacers, Forbes, and other locales. Tony, by the way, just a fair warning, spoke with Robin the Genie earlier. When we get off the phone, do me a favor, whoever your phone carrier is, you're going to want to look up your billing cycle for any collect calls that may have been inadvertently accepted there. It's, he's, yeah. he's, he's tricky. Robin's uh, shifty, right? Yeah. There's, there's no doubt about that. He's got that. to pay off those million-dollar payouts somehow, Jimmy. Come on. He's got to find one away. I respect the, I respect the hustle. I respect the hustle. I, re- I tried to game his rules, so hopefully I got hey, around hey, that. I, I, I respect your hustle as well. <laughs> Pascal Siakam, the Toronto version of him the last couple of years, the biggest mark against him has been offensive efficiency has plummeted year over year since his days with Kawhi. I contend that Tyrese Halliburton is the best playmaker to accentuate and bring him back to offensive efficiency than anything that's been there in Toronto since. 
Tyrese is off the board during this stretch. So my question is, when you look at Pascal Siakam, let's just use this season in fairness. Compared to what he had in Toronto, are the Pacers better equipped or better built as a unit, even without Tyrese Halliburton, for him still to be a better player and perform at a higher level than he did in Toronto? Yeah, definitely. And that's an interesting uh, opinion about his efficiency because, yes, it dipped the year immediately following the title, but it's gone up every year since then. (laughs) So, yes, that was obviously a blip year at his crazy efficiency in 2018-19, but it's steadily climbed. His true shooting percentage has gone up literally every year since 2019-20 until now. And, yes, now he is in a system that will let him and encourage him to take shots that he can make, and he's got the best setup man who's going to drop more attention than any of his teammates that he's had in the last three or four years. And I think he overlapped with Lowry for one of those, but that was that sad Tampa Bay Raptors COVID season that was just depressing uh, in every way. I think something else that's going to be interesting is like Nick Nurse ran his player, his starters a ton of minutes, like 38 a game for years. I wonder what even just like four or five fewer minutes per game could do for him from an energy and effectiveness perspective. And Maybe the Pacers can't get away with that, and they need him to play as much as possible. But, I mean, I, I think that that could be a boon for him, too. So, obviously, I think if you just stare at his two- and three-point shooting percentages and say, well, they haven't been at that level since having a star teammate, yeah, you'd think Tyrese Halliburton could help him get back to those numbers. But I think he's gotten more refined as a guy who can find his shots and, and score, obviously, since then, and has figured out what he can do without just going through the I'm really fast, I can spin around you move. And, I think a shot is still 35%-ish is what I'm going to expect with the Pacers. So I think having Tyrese Halliburton will help him uh, have those percentages be higher. And I think in general, what you've already seen from him is he can get to his spot. And on this Pacers team that has shooting, has a perfect front court match for him. Yeah, his efficiency is going to be solid. You know, in my perfect world, the way my brain works, I'd like to see Nick Nurse on the same staff as Doc Rivers. That, that would only make sense, wouldn't it? <laughs> Uh, yes, it would. Yes, it would. They, they'd be, they'd be the healthiest team in the league, right? <laughs> well, currently the team Doc Rivers is is coaching uh, has a very unhealthy situation leading into that that hire. So uh, they could use a nurse. Hey, how about that, man? Uh, like Whew. Doc Rivers just came in and said, "You know what? I'm just gonna like I'm a consultant here, so I'm gonna play both sides of the fence." That, that's what it looks like to me, right? I agree. Yeah, it's really crazy that that. Happens the way it did. And I, it's, it's interesting. Like, I get the Bucks being like, yeah, we want Doc Rivers to help consult this new coach. But, like, if you were consider, <laughs> they, they won this week twice. They beat, I mean, it was the Pistons, but they won twice this week and then fired him. So, like, clearly this has been brewing for a while, you know, and, and no, nothing good came out of, you know, you didn't hear a lot of good stuff coming out of Milwaukee. But, like, a 30-13 and 13 team off of wins doing like that had to be something, something wild had to be happening in Milwaukee. That's a crazy one. I'm telling you, like, I'm going to start looking over my shoulder if I find out that Derek Schultz has been hired as a consultant to this program, right? <laughs> the story of my life. Tony, what else? Uh, what do you got working here on coverage that we'll be looking for from you in due time? Well, all-star starters will be announced tonight. So either Tyree Talburn will be one, and that will not be a surprise, or he won't be one, and that will be a surprise. Uh, and we can talk about that and cover uh, that and if he is or isn't deserving of that honor, Pascal Siakam had his first practice with the Pacers yesterday, so a lot more learned about him and what that practice value can be for him. So, uh, a lot of interesting stuff coming on the court, and of course, the trade deadline's in two weeks. So, plenty to come on this Pacers team in the next couple weeks. 
Tony, before we let you get out of here, do you envision the contract incentives of all NBA and otherwise tied to Tyrese Halliburton factoring in to any of his health management over the next couple of weeks in terms of where they're mapping things out? Because he has, like, what, four to play with, I think, in terms of the game limit that the NBA requires to be eligible for that? Yeah, he can miss. I, I'll, I'll be curious about a couple things with that. Like, you know, he played in the in-season tournament finals. Like, do they do they count that? Do they give him grace for – there's a lot of, like, little ways around exactly 65. I need to read the rules again. But now he's at, I believe, nine games missed a season, ten. So he's got seven more. Uh, but he's going to miss two more this week. So I think five. I'd have to – I'm not doing very quick or good math right now, but – uh, yeah, I mean, it's a huge incentive for him. Like he, it, it, It's going to be interesting how they kind of work together on this because Tyrese Halberton, for both basketball reasons, playing with Siakam, getting the team back on track, should want to play as soon as possible, right? We saw him at practice shooting some threes yesterday, moving around. Um, and the Pacers probably want him to be as healthy as possible, but also would like to win. So the push and pull of all those dynamics is going to be fascinating to me. I mean, look, if the cap goes up as much as it can, I mean, Tyrese Halliburton has 54 million reasons to try to play 65 games this season, so of course he will. And I, quite frankly, I'm a get-your-money guy. I think he should try, uh, as long as it doesn't have any long-term impacts. But, I mean, I don't want to speak for anybody, but it sure seems like coming back in Portland might have been too soon, so we'll see what they decide to do going forward. Tony East, the guest, Pepper the Cat, and the Pacers and Sixers <laughs> tonight. Tony, we appreciate it as always. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. All right, Tony East on the program. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Joining us on the program now in a smooth transition, Mike DeCourcy with Sporting News to talk about you know his Pittsburgh Steelers were eliminated early. We'll talk college basketball. But Mike, before we do that, I have to ask, because of course you and I have shared the common space within Clues Hall before, so I know that you are someone like myself who enjoys a little theater performance. Have you yet, or do you plan on seeing To Kill a Mockingbird as part of the Broadway series here in Indianapolis? I've actually already seen the production uh, it, on Broadway, so and it's quite good. It's, it's, it's really a wonderful telling of that story and certainly worth anyone's time. Uh, Deb and I went to few years ago when it first uh, made its debut on Broadway not long after that and it was wonderful yeah I saw it last night um, it was you know they added a little bit it, what I thought was interesting Mike and I didn't know until after the fact you know I went back and look, kind of looked it up you know there were some some issues with the Harper Lee estate just over the liberties that were taken in terms of the the playwright of it they added a, I didn't recall from the book you know there were some I thought pertinent like levity or a little bit of a a comedic nature to a couple of the characters that I think kind of made for a light tone to what obviously was otherwise a very important message yeah I think that when you're when you're staging a play especially one that's uh, very heavy uh, sometimes a playwright will feel like it's a good thing to do Uh, I've seen plays that were uh, there was a play I think it was called Blackbird Jeff Daniels actually starred in that as well as when I saw the To Kill a Mockingbird. And it was just 90 minutes of, like, hit you in the head with with Grimm. And it can be hard. And I I think that they felt like there was some potential to be 
to invite you into the story more so by doing it the way they did. And it certainly worked. Uh, it's been one of the most successful plays uh, in American history, just straight plays. Uh, been one of the most successful commercially. And I, I don't think that they lost the message of what To Kill a Mockingbird is to be about by, by, by rearranging a few things. Mike, of course, he's our guest. All right, Mike, let's get to, and well said, I totally agree. I enjoyed it last night. Hope people enjoy it when they go to Clues. Like I said, don't drink any beverages beforehand because there's only two restrooms. Um, <laughs> now, Mike, college basketball-wise, I'm going to begin with Purdue because they, you know, listen, they've got the best resume for sure in the country, and I, I love watching them play. So the first thing that I will ask you, does Purdue have better balance, and are they more capable of handling – a quote-unquote off night than they were a year ago because we're getting close to the time of year now where those whispers are going to start talking, you know, turning into louder conversations in terms of Purdue in March. Yeah, you know, I think I think that they certainly do. And, and what they also have is more answers than they did a year ago. And the question will be is if those questions start to come up, and I don't mean the external stuff, I just mean on the floor, if on a particular night a particular player is having a rough go of it, how, how committed to this, well, this is the way we've always done it, will, will the coaching staff be? I think, that, that, I think the flexibility to deal with the tournament as it's structured which is you're not playing the Lakers six, six times or seven times. You're playing whoever's on the bracket, and you get one shot, and they get one shot. And they're probably not taking the shot in the same way that you are. You're trying to be the best Purdue. They're trying to do anything that they can possibly think of, uh, including, like, uh, rhythmic gymnastics and, uh, you know, whatever they can throw into the game plan, they're going to do it. And you have to cope with that. Uh, until you get later in the tournament, that's what you're going to be facing, at least for the first round, sometimes for the second. And as we saw, uh, because of the, the St. Peter's run to the Sweet 16 in, in 2022, uh, uh, excuse me, t- uh, yeah, 2022, uh, because of that, uh, you might even see that in the Sweet 16. So you've got to be ready for that, I think. That's, that's, that's the concern. If if Switzer lawyers had some unbelievable nights uh, for uh, for Purdue, such as the Arizona game, where he was just amazing, he's had some not so great nights. And how do you mitigate that? Do you uh, do you go to Cam Heidi, or do you go all the way to Miles Colvin if if it's required, or do you say, well, he's always been our guy? I, I think that's the that's the biggest issue to me when you get into those games where you're playing uh, for your, for your uh, existence, so to speak, and the other team is just knows that they've, they know they're not supposed to win. And so they're willing to try anything to try to squeeze out that W. Mike, let me tell you one thing. Mike DeCorsi, our guest, that I've heard lately, and you tell me if you kind of hear the same thing, and that is, look, Zach Eady's a wonderful player, and by all accounts, just a really good young guy. I mean, his development, his progression, his improvement, his footwork, all of it. Great story all the way around. And then there are people that, are, you know, a year ago, obviously, there was talk, he, you know, he wouldn't be a first-rounder. He would maybe wouldn't even get drafted because the game has changed. 
I know that it's a dry year this year in the draft, allegedly. But I was talking to somebody that said, you know, he may be playing his way into like the 15-20 range in the draft. Not necessarily because, not not just I guess I should say because it's a dry draft, but because he is a guaranteed commodity and teams respect his just nature of the way he goes about his business and they're like, you know, he's going to be a 10-year player. He's a safe pick and he's moving his way up those boards. Do you hear the same thing? Yeah, but I think it's even more enthusiastic that I'm hearing, and that is that yeah, it's safe, but it's also he is he is he has spent so much time and so much effort at conditioning himself uh, and training himself and or being trained so that that when he goes into a pick and roll, that it's not necessarily he can't handle it; he's overmatched. Uh, and I'm talking about on defense, of course. That he can, that there are things that he can do in that circumstance to survive that, uh, because he's worked so hard on his body and his his stamina and his quickness. Uh, he's worked so hard on all those elements of his physicality that he can now he can now do that. And uh, Jonathan Gavoni, who I've known for fifteen twenty years now, and he is the draft analyst for ESPN. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, put Zach in his. Uh, lottery mock, his, his mock lottery. I, I don't remember if it was 12 or 13 or 14 or whatever, but he was right there. And I thought that was a really enormous statement on behalf of Zach. And it does help that it does help him in this circumstance that it is a lean draft. It's not alleged. It's not alleged, Jake. It's really not good. Uh, but he, you can get somebody. What you, what you want to do in the draft, I, I think sometimes teams think, well, let's just take a chance. And the Pacers did that a bit toward the latter part of the previous decade with the teens or whatever you call them. Uh, they, they did that a couple of times, and it didn't fly. It, but when they have stuck to taking guys that can really play and that maybe don't have the ceiling that some others have uh, but are more likely to hit their ceiling, uh, I think they've been more successful with that. They've got a lot of, of real contributors in that way. And I, I think that that's – you look at, at, uh, at what's going on with Jaime Jaquez down in Miami. Uh, he was taken, I think, 18th or something like that. And lots of the high upside guys went ahead of him. And he's out there tearing it up now on a, on a team that is relevant and, and contending. Uh, I just don't think you can ever go wrong with guys that you know can play. If you have real reason to believe that there's a prospect who, who's going to get there, okay. Um, but th- I've seen picks taken that I, – this is a true story. Uh, I, I covered – my first tournament game in 2021, the year that it was all here, my first tournament game was UCLA-Alabama. And it was like an overtime or double overtime game. So there's either 45 or 50 minutes of basketball. And there's a young man named Josh Primo that played in that game. And he was taken, I think, 13th overall by the Spurs. And I'd spent 45 to 50 minutes in the gym with him, and I had no recollection of him having been there. How does that become a number one pick? How does that become a lottery pick? And he's not in the league anymore. Uh, I just I don't believe in that. I, I think you have to have real evidence that the player can play. Mike DeCourcy is our guest, covers all things college basketball for Sporting News. You see his work on the Big Ten Network as well as his bracket inside information for Fox, and that's where I want to lean into next, Mike. Be honest with you, 
I've kind of accepted Indiana's fate with where they are, even though it's January 25th, barring them making a complete turnaround and being a different team than they've been to this point in the season. Their NCAA tournament aspirations are dire. No wins in quad one in terms of like the top tier wins that you can have to your resume. I won't go fully into the semantics, but you've studied it. As you look at what's left for them, even in the Big Ten, that's always presenting opportunities to pad your resume. Is there still a path for them to get to the NCAA tournament? Yes, but the path is a rampage. I remember the team that I always reference in these kinds of conversations is Washington of 2004. That's a long way to go back now. It's 20 years. But Washington that year came into, this is back when we still used the RPI rather than the net as the foundational tool for the committee. And they were like 95th in the RPI on maybe February 10th, right around there, somewhere around there. And then they won, and they were, but they had already started a winning streak, and and they won every game they played for the remainder of the regular season, including beating Stanford on the final day of the regular season at a time when Stanford was undefeated, and trying to finish a perfect uh, regular season, and and so that took them from 95th to around 50th or something like that. And they ultimately got in, but they completely redefined who they were as a team. And that's what you have to do if you're in Indiana's position now. You have to do all the things on the floor and maybe off that you hadn't done for the previous basically three months. And that's that's not easy to do. If you can do it, and like I said, it's happened. There's probably a more recent example than Washington, but that's the one that always sticks out for me. But it's very rare because teams kind of show who they are and it's reflected to a great degree in the numbers that are out there. They show who they are and they play to that for the most part. They may improve incrementally and some improve significantly, but when you're in the situation that Indiana's in right now, significantly is good for the soul and it's good to show that the program is heading in the right direction, but significantly won't get you to March. It has to be, like I said, it has to be a rampage. Mike DeCourcy, our guest. Mike, I got one other Indiana question for you. I And this is another one of those, have you heard rumbling type things, okay? Um, Khalil Ware, I, you know, I think he's definitely going to be a, an NBA draft pick at the very least. I think he's probably, you know, he, he might be one of those guys, and I mean this not as a knock on Indiana or any any anybody, his game might be a little more suited for what the NBA does because he clearly has talent. He's played well at times for Indiana. But I've heard that with him twisting the ankle and being out in his foot in a boot that there may be some conversation about whether or not he wants to just shut down in order to get ready for the NBA draft, which I certainly would understand. I've heard that. Have you heard anything along those lines? I hear that kind of nonsense all the time. Players don't do that. They don't. They just don't. If he has to because physically that's what's required, that they, they will do it, and usually reluctantly. I, 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 I can tell you right now, I heard some nonsense back last summer um, around the time that Chris Livingston was the last player taken in the, in the two-round NBA draft, that Aaron Bradshaw wasn't really hurt and his foot was fine and that it was all just a ruse so that he didn't have to honor his commitment to, to Kentucky and that he would, he'd never play there. And, Aaron Bradshaw obviously had a foot injury because beginning in early mid-December, he's out on the floor playing. He's still out there. There's all kinds of stuff. Wasn't wasn't the same rumor out there with Shaden Sharp? 
Uh, no, because because Shaden never played. That's what I mean. Uh, but wasn't there like something of like Sharp doesn't want to play because he's saving himself? I, I thought like the his, same narrative his, was out his, there. His guy didn't want him to play, and that's true. I think I I I don't I believe that if it were up to Shaden, he would have played. Right. Um, but his guy didn't want him to play, and so because. He wasn't able to play for much of the year, and then when he was, there there was a feeling that because he was so far behind, that he would only he could only hurt himself. I always thought that was kind of nonsense. Uh, that they, that the NBA would respect if the fact that he was committed enough to give it a go, and that he wasn't going to get any shorter, and he wasn't going to get any less dynamic, and that he could only help himself by showing that he was a baller. Um, and if he and if he wasn't ready, they would give him a pass because he hadn't been available for three months or whatever the time frame was. But it's this is a different deal. It, players who are parts of teams they don't shut it down. Um, it, like I said, if if he's unable to play physically, uh, and and or if returning would would put him at at greater jeopardy of re-injury, then no, you don't play. But if you're healthy enough to play and there is no greater risk of injury for you than there is for anybody else that goes out there, those guys are going to play. I just haven't seen that sort of thing. I hear that, like I said, I hear that kind of buzz all the time about different uh, players. And it's always people just trying to sound smarter than they are. Mike DeCourcy is our guest. You can get his work at Sporting News as well as the Big Ten Network and all things brackets as well for for Fox Sports. Going back to... Bracketology for a little bit, Mike. Missouri Valley, Indiana State, very high up in net rankings, already an incredible resume, 17-3 on the season. You have Drake as a next four out team in your latest brackets, if I'm not mistaken. Do the Does Indiana State, do the Sycamores need to win the Valley to make the NCAA tournament, or is that a two-bid league if, say, it's Drake that winds up winning it? Well, I I, um, I was asked uh, on Twitter the other day if Drake and Indiana State could both make it, and I said yes, but I don't think they can afford. I think they need to basically beat everybody else in the league and then play each other in the title game, and then one of them wins and one of them doesn't, and in that case, there's a chance. And then Drake went out the other night and lost to, to Missouri State, uh, whether that was Wednesday or uh, Tuesday, I'm not sure, but they lost subsequent to my most recent bracket to Missouri State. So, and, and Bradley's playing really well. The problem is that the Valley is, as it usually is, has been, is a very balanced league with a lot of good teams, uh, with lacking enough non-conference uh, performance to, to possibly put a team in. Honestly, I think the only shot now that the Valley has at a at-large bid would be for the Sycamores to run it, uh, to, to go all the way down, maybe one loss, and it has to be the right one. It has to be at Bradley or someone like that, uh, and then and then maybe losing the championship game. And then even then it's going to be hard. But I, I think that if they did that, their, their numbers would be sufficient that they would be right in the picture. And a lot of the other teams that are out there, they, there's some of their schedules and competition may be harder, but their teams aren't that great either. So they're going to continue to to hurt themselves as Miami has recently, for example. The the Hurricanes have, have really struggled of late, and and other teams in that region. Providence now, not because really more because of injury or any, uh, than anything else, 
uh, are in jeopardy, even though they put, got a nice win last night against Seton Hall. It's still going to be hard for them to sustain that night after night uh, while lacking maybe their best player. Mike, normally, Mike DeCourcy, our guest, normally a head coaching opening at DePaul wouldn't necessarily create ripple in Indianapolis. Although for me, nostalgically speaking, I so want to see DePaul get back to what I know they've been in the past. We'll see if that's even possible. But but there are some names that I've seen linked to potentially at DePaul. If something's happened in the meantime, I apologize if I missed it. But that have potential Indiana implications for fans of different teams in the state of Indiana. Um, Dusty May being one, you know, Josh Schurz at, at Indiana State being another. Are those guys even realistic? Where where does DePaul look? Yeah, I don't think Dusty May is realistic for DePaul. Uh, if you're Dusty May and you've been to the final at four, four at Florida Atlantic and your alma mater's coach is in his mid-60s uh, and there are other programs out there that have been traditionally successful, why would you gamble on a program where – in the last 20 years, I think there's been one tournament appearance. No, it's unbelievable. So I, it doesn't. So you can throw. I can throw. I can throw uh, uh, any coach. I can throw Doc Rivers on the list. I mean, it, 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 he's a capable coach, and he and and if they could get him, they'd hire him. But why would you do it? Uh, that, that's not going to happen. Uh, the, the coach at Indiana State, sure, why not? Um, that's the kind of coach that you ordinarily. Could get, but I don't think that's where DePaul is headed. I think DePaul is going to try to get somebody proven uh, by overpaying, so to speak. And when I say overpay, look, you are what you're worth, what you're what you can get. But what I mean by that is paying above class uh, what what they have traditionally paid and what others in their uh, in their league and 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 sort of uh, their weight class, if you want to call it that, uh, have paid. Uh, I think that they'll. they'll they'll be willing to do that and eager to do that if they can get someone who, who has been a head coach and who is, you know, is looking for another opportunity. I, I've, I've heard Bob Huggins' name, and that would be one that I could see happening. Uh, I, could, I know Bob's not happy about the way his career ended uh, or his career at West Virginia ended. Right. I, I, th- I, I, I think that he, would be, uh, that he would be willing to listen uh, to to getting another opportunity, and Bob is going to believe that having uh, won at Cincinnati in the manner that he did when they had been bereft, uh, won at Kansas State when they had been consistently mediocre. Uh, I think he's going to believe that even as difficult as it's been at DePaul, that he's going that if he gets the opportunity, that he could win there. Mike, I've always wondered this, and I've asked this on the air even rhetorically. Because it, to me, it's one of the great mysteries of my last like three decades. DePaul, you're in Chicago. I, I mean, you know when Ray and I know Ray Meyer had it cooking forty years ago. I get it, right? I mean, it's been a while since been a while since Mark Aguirre or Dallas Comagees were, were walking through there. But how has it gotten so bad? And what has prohibited them from getting footing? And you know, there's talk even now of them leaving the Big East. I mean, what is the future for DePaul? Who's talking about them leaving the Big East? I heard who. Where did I read that there was conversation? I I, I, will, I wouldn't think they would do it from a monetary standpoint, but that they would be no. better fit in a different league. Yeah, I, that's not that's not going to happen. I mean, uh, they're not going to leave the Big East. 
uh, it, it's it, the, the money it would be prohibitive to walk away from. They're not they're not going to get into a better league than the Big East, and no one's gone backward in college basketball that I can remember. Just about. Uh, I thought for years like, I covered Duquesne. It was my first beat in the Atlantic Ten. I thought for years that they they would have a better shot if they played in a different league. Uh, uh, but they've never gone. They've never. Uh, uh, considered going backward. Loyola, I thought, made a significant mistake by leaving the Valley to go to the Atlantic 10. They were under the belief that they'd have a better shot at a multiple bid. Well, why would you believe that? I mean, uh, that the, the Atlantic 10 was trending down in bids, not trending up. Uh, so I, I don't think Paul is going to be in any hurry to leave there. I think the problem in general has been home court. They played for years at the All-State Arena, uh, it, it was not a good arena uh, at, 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 at the beginning. It wasn't good. They fixed it up, and it still wasn't good. It also was out by O'Hare when Purdue – excuse me, when uh, DePaul is nowhere near O'Hare. Uh, it just it, – it was always the problem. And now they have Wintrust, which is a really nice building. I've been there – I've not been there for a DePaul game yet, but I was there for a concert. I was there – the NBA had uh, the Combine there. I went for that. It's a really nice arena. Uh, in a in a growing area of Chicago, so now you've got something to build on, uh, but they just didn't hire the right coach the last time around. Uh, uh, coach Stubblefield is a, is a really really nice man and and a, was a great uh, assistant and recruiter for Oregon and for uh, Cincinnati, but it just didn't click. And so they need to get this right if it's ever going to get right. College basketball reporter for Sporting News, Mike DeCourcy, is our guest. Mike, when you look at Butler, are they still a year away? There's no doubt that they look better year two with Thad Mata, but when you look at their resume, what's available sticking in the Big East Conference, they still a year away, or could they surprise some folks, make a little run, and get in the dance? Uh, it's it, You know, it, it, there were times when I thought it was possible. I think they have enough on their resume that if they went on a significant run, I, they don't need a rampage, but they need – uh, they need to really scurry uh, in February. There's enough on their resume that if they did that, uh, they could they could be in the picture. It's not that far a trip. It's certainly a, a shorter trip for them than it is for the Hoosiers. However, again, it's not really who they've been. They haven't defined themselves as that sort of team. And, and I don't know that it, it's likely, uh, but I think that that's done a really nice job. And I will tell you, I mean, like, Everybody in basketball thought that they were like, okay, DePaul was probably going to be last, but then Butler was going to be at the at the table with them. Uh, you know, they're going to be at the kids' table or whatever, and that and they're, and they're nowhere near that. Uh, they have become a significant team in the Big East, a team that you have to worry about whether they're you're in their gym or they're in yours. You have to be ready to play, uh, and they can they, and they might beat you even if you are. So that's a, that's a big step for them. Uh, it, next year, if he continues to add to this, uh, I could absolutely see them back in. And as I said, I wouldn't totally rule it out. It's just a, it's just a big, you know, they, they've left themselves a lot of work to do with not a lot of time to do it. Mike. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Last, I want to go back to something you mentioned because you kind of cracked the door open. So I'm going to I'm going to kick it here. I and I want to be very clear for the sake of both of us. This is long term conversation. I don't mean like in the next week here, but I you know I do think that there are a lot of Indiana fans 
that look at Dusty May and are kind of on the edge of their seat or, or nervous a little bit because they don't want to miss the window if that's the guy that they really want to ultimately take over the Indiana Reigns. Um, I guess the curveball and all of that, would you agree with this, is we don't really know how long Mike Woodson wants to do this, and I still believe that it is Mike Woodson that will, deter- will determine when Mike Woodson leaves. I am totally with you on that. Uh, I think that that's absolutely true. I, one of the things that that I don't really understand uh, is, I guess, because you've added a couple of five stars or once uh, you know, with uh, Way- Khalil Ware, and uh, and then you brought in Mbako, so people expect success to be immediate. It, it, they're not built for immediate success, especially having lost Xavier Johnson for a month. Um, you know, they, they invested in him as their point guard. They, they stuck with him. They fought for the sixth year. He got it. And then he got hurt. And then he came back and he wasn't, and he wasn't really uh, both feet in the circle uh, moving forward. I, I don't think uh, as evidenced by the, 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 the problems that he had in those couple of games. Um, so I think that, that that's what set them back. But I think in the, in the future uh, that they need, you know, they, they're certainly going to need a point guard for next year. Uh, they certainly need to, to and the one thing I will say, I, I, I don't have a problem with criticizing some of his approaches. And the one approach that I just can't get with is the idea that, that you, that you don't incorporate three point shooting at the same at, at or near the same level that everybody else does. That's a, it's too important a part of the game. If the other team makes 12 of 24 threes or 12 of 28 threes and you go nine, you know, you go 10 for 20 from, from two, you're way behind. Yeah. I just, it, Mike, it feels like, does it not that they were putting their eggs and I'm not saying this was the wrong approach. I mean, there was precedent to, to understand why they would do this, but I think that they were really invested to your point and Xavier Johnson being the guy that we've seen at his best and yeah. You know, whether it be injuries, whether it be whatever, whatever the factors might be, it just didn't work out in th- for this year in that regard, and that really stunted them. It did, uh, but I think in the future they've got to incorporate the three-point game more than they did. They had Miller Cop a year ago. Miller shot like forty-four-six or something like that, and his his attempts were ballpark half of what they would have been at most major programs with a guy shooting that accuracy. It, it, it's got it's, you got if you get a Miller cop you got to use them and if you don't have a Miller cop you go got to go get another uh, because that's that's too important a part of the game now and that diminishes them the game like the Kansas game I mean if they had somebody like cop making three threes they win the game and and that's you know that would have been a huge step forward for them in this season from Atticus Finch to Dallas Comages to Miller cop we we got the whole spectrum in there Mike. <laughs> I love it. Yes, we did. I I love it. I appreciate the time as always, Mike. All right, Jake. I enjoyed it. Thanks. I appreciate it. Mike DeCorsi from Sporting News and the Big Ten Network, of course, where you see him. One of my favorite guys.